Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. So today, Gail and I are going to be, we're going to have our spoilery book club discussion of The Farm by Joanne Ramos. Also, I got a very exciting box from Gail (laughs) that I want to talk, that I want to share with everyone. I went to a cool event and we're going to discuss what we think our best books of the year are so far. And I did a little research. I went back to look at what we said at the end of June last year, what our best books were going to be. And I went to take a look to see how they fared. Mm, Okay. So I can report back on that as we make, as we, you know, talk about the books that we feel like have been the best so far this year. Cool. Before we jump into that, we should check in on reading. We've got a lot to cover today. Let's check in on reading. I have, I'll give you where I am with reading. So I'm still in the audio of Searching for Sylvie Lee. I'm probably 75% done. So the end is in sight. It's, I really like it. It's very different from her other books, which I think she mentioned when she was on the show. Well, we commented on that, that it just seemed the missing girl aspect adds a different element. I think she's, she's usually more grounded in that coming of age and right. fish out of water experience and finding yourself. Right. And this one definitely has more of this sort of thriller element to it. You know, kind of the hallmarks of Jean's writing, I think, are still here. Just amazing detail, great physical description. There's a scene, uh, the characters go to Venice for a weekend, and her description of Venice, I feel like, is just so dead on and beautiful and lush. And she does the same thing with the Netherlands, which is someplace I've never been, but I feel like she does a really nice job of painting the background of where things are taking place. So I'm going to hold off on my full review until I have finished it, but I'm enjoying it a lot. And then I'm reading two books in print. Uh, I'm reading Bad Blood, which I basically only read when I'm drawing my hair. So it's, it's taking, you know, it's, it's, it's moving it's steadily, but slowly it's, it's good. I, you know, this book was so hyped and people are like, Oh, you have to read bad blood. It's amazing. I couldn't put it down. It reads like a novel. My issue with it so far, and I might say I'm 25% done is that it's very, it, it's the story about this startup in in Silicon Valley and this fraud that the very charismatic CEO perpetuates on investors and the media about what this company's technology could actually accomplish. And it reads, it's extremely meticulous in the detail of this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. But there's no, so far, there isn't a lot of like analysis. And there's an, there's the, the author doesn't take a big step back and say, you know, bigger picture themes. So I'm hoping that changes and it very well might. But what I'm finding right now is it's just like extremely narrative. So that is going to be one of my nonfiction reads of the year. But the the main book I'm reading that I'm almost done with is called Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes, who is the host of the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. And she's NPR's pop culture correspondent. And this book, have you heard anything about Evie Drake? 
Or do you have Evie Drake? I have okay. Evie Drake. I think my aunt read Evie Drake. Okay. It is. She really liked yeah, it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It is. Um, it kind of looks like the from the cover, like it's going to be a super light read, and it isn't. I mean, it's it's not a hard read, but it isn't like light and airy. It's about this widow who lives in Maine. She's in her 30s. Her husband was killed in a car accident about two years earlier, and she's been very reclusive ever since for her own reasons. Through a mutual friend, she gets connected to this guy who used to be a pitcher for the Yankees, and then all of a sudden just chokes like he can't pitch anymore he can't hit his target he's all over the place he leaves baseball in uh sort of in shame and she has this extra apartment off of her house and he comes up to maine and ends up renting this apartment from her so it's about the relationship that they develop while he's living with her and i just am i'm really loving it like i'm i'm sad it's going to end i'm trying to read it sort of slowly so it doesn't finish and it's just this is her debut novel and i think she did a great job with it so it's not like well maybe you need to switch and read it in the bathroom <laughs> yeah right right exactly hair, and then you can read bad blood that's a good point sometimes poor bad blood gets jettisoned for Evie drake what <laughs> more like bad blood's one like 15 minute opportunity to get some progress made on it gets thrown out the window because I'm like I was one of those who tore through it I love oh it. bad blood okay do you have did you agree with what I'm saying or does it change see I don't remember I think my one complaint about that book I mean and there was no way that it was going to be different is that he really didn't have a lot of insight into Elizabeth Holmes herself sure. like he would reference like it was much more just about the legal work the office um, like you said, those details, the details of the science and actually how the fraud was committed and the laws that he broke. And I think that some people did say that it was a little bit heavy on the scientific details of that. I also, I mean, he's a journalist. He was writing it so quickly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I did, I felt like it was a missing insight from her that I would have liked because I really didn't have any you know, in the beginning where you are, I think you kind of get that, okay, she's always wanted to do something, but we don't, I didn't really feel any clear guidance as to how she went so easily on the, off the rails. And then she has this Svengali like character who's a part of her life. And they've got this very strange power dynamic and it's explored a lot. It's very much a workplace book. Yes. And there's so many things that I feel like are so intriguing about her life. Like, what was she doing with this money? How much a part did this, the man that she was dating play into this? Or how did she hatch her plan? And some of those things are missing, but then he doesn't have access to her. So it's, I think that he chooses not to speculate on things that he doesn't know. Yep. And just bases it off of interviews. And I think that's a good point that he's telling a one sided story because he can't get too much insight into her. But yeah, because she's not, she's not going to admit. I mean, she admits no wrongdoing. She's working if she's what she's engaged now and working on another startup. So this is someone who doesn't have any cognizance of wrongdoing. I think that she kind of thinks that Wait, isn't she going she to ran jail? out of time. I have no idea what's going on. I thought she was going to jail. But I guess that is not going to stop her from living her best life. <laughs> Apparently. As one does. Apparently. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, you know, I've still got a lot of ways to go, so I'll report back once that's done. So that book, just so 
uh, people know. That's Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, and that's C-A-R-R-E-Y-R-O-U. No, yeah, Carreyrou. Okay, what about you? What are you reading? Okay, so I'm still listening to Sunburn by <laughs> Laura Lippman, but it is at the point. You know how with audiobooks, I, I don't know, I think that you get a chance to read them more steadily because you try to do it with your commute, and I don't. Sometimes I don't have a commute. Sometimes I do. You know, sometimes I do a lot more walking than others. So my audio listening is haphazard because I, even though I do have time to listen to them at home, like I wouldn't because my attention will wander if I'm home. Right. I, you know, I was listening to it and it's fine. So it's reached that point where, you know, you've gotten the background on the characters and it's starting to get interesting. So I'm starting to look for those times that I can mm, that's important. sneak a little yep. time in. But so it's like I'm past the story setup, which is basically this woman who, as the novel starts out, she leaves her husband and her child and she takes up in this small town and she gets involved with this guy but he's a pi who's investigating her you know her husband is having her investigated so the central the plot or what's moving this story along is what is this woman up to you know like what is this mis- mysterious past that she's alluding to how come she has chosen to left to leave her husband and is this something she's done before And so we're starting to dig into some of those questions and it's getting really interesting. I'm reading The City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert and I'm about halfway through. Now, this podcast, (laughs) I always know when they're sort of out of order because I know that we talk to a guest. And so later on in a couple of weeks, when you hear that podcast, you'll realize that I was kind of in the more beginning stages of City of city of girls, which I'm really enjoying. I really love the characters. But in that podcast, I think that you had mentioned that Ron Charles said it was a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. That's right. So far, I'm not feeling that because I just love the it's, it's it's a fun novel. Like it's set in the I think World War Two is brewing. So it's early 1940s. And it's about this young privileged woman who's been kicked out of Vassar and she has been let loose on New York City. She's living with her aunt in this in this theater house, like everyone lives on the upper floors and the lower level is a theater. So it's a lot of costumes and just colorful scenes from, you know, New York past that's really interesting to me. And I really like the characters. And so I'm getting to the point where we're, and this is kind of late for it to happen because it's halfway through the book, but it's, I feel like it's going to that point where we're going to discover, you know, what mistake has happened or what, what's going to happen to change her life. And I'm dreading it a little bit because I've just been, I've just been enjoying it so much. I'm like, I don't want anything bad to happen to them, but I, I feel like I'm getting to that point. And then I'm reading Three Women by Lisa Tadeo, which you very kindly sent me in this box that I'm going to talk about in a minute. That is narrative nonfiction about the lives of three women. The author is a journalist and she set out to explore women's sexuality and she chooses three women for her test case, you know, I guess her subjects, and she's been embedded with them over eight years. And the way that she tells their stories is like so aligned with their point of view. It's almost like 
reading a novel where you have a character and these women are characters. And that's just how in detail and how she builds their world and what it is that they experience. And so they have different, I guess they're each very different, you know, like one woman is living in a very small community. I believe it's in, it's either Maine or New Hampshire or one of those towns that is on the water and gets most of its business and is is bustling during the summer, but the winter months are very slow and very small communities. And there's this one sort of sophisticated woman who she, her husband like likes to watch her have sex with other men, whether that's in person or video. I think one of the women is very young and she's been involved with her professor. So it's the fallout of that. And then, then there is another woman who, whose story begins when she's young and what, you know, like a transformative event that happens to her as a teenager. And I think we'll see a little bit later how it affects her sex life. So it's, it's exploring sexuality and women's sexuality and choices and how they really feel about desire through the lives of these women who she's, who she has gotten to know over eight years. I'm really excited to read this one. Right. Yeah. Picked it up at book expo and it's just sitting here waiting to be read. (laughs) Had you heard about it before? Book I think you and I discussed it. Oh, yeah, because I had, yeah, I think we had brought it up. It was one of our looking forward to the summer yes, books. Yes, for sure, something. for sure. Yeah, I definitely, I was really seeking this one out. I, it was psyched because I got it. I, I waited in line for quite a while for this book. And then, of course, they had like a bunch of copies at Speed Dating, and they had a bunch of copies at the... ALA or the ABA. Yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah, it was everywhere. <laughs> so that's how I was able to grab, you know, an extra one for you. Um, cause I, it was like so hard one and then it was everywhere. But, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited about this one. I'm glad to hear that you're so liking I it. Thank you for that. Sure. And I, and I think it's autographed. Yes. I think it probably is. Okay. Good. What else did I put in that box? I don't even remember now. Okay. So let's talk about the box. In that box was three women, which we just discussed. Where's my little list? Also in that book was a book that I really enjoyed. And you got me a copy because I think that I tore through it. It was one of the books Mm. that I know I really liked because I tore through it on my iPad. And that's Two Lila Bennett's by Liz Fenton and Lisa Steinke. Right. And that one is about Lila Bennett. And it's a bit of a sliding doors thriller in one life. She, it starts off with this very driven, I think she's a defense attorney. So it's someone who you see that she has some questions about how she has lived her life. Like she, she's with her husband or whatever, but she doesn't really pay him a lot of attention. She works lots of late nights. You see that she's conducting an affair with someone who works in her office. And in the beginning of the novel, she is locked in a room. Someone has locked her in this room and she is under duress. You know, I don't think she's eating very well. And I mean, she's been kidnapped. She's locked in the room. It's, it's stressful. And she is trying to figure out what's going to happen to her. It doesn't seem like it's going to be anything good that she'll make it out alive. And of course she's trying to figure out why she's there. And in the other life that we get to see, she is, starting to think about the career choices that she's made. She's starting to 
think about maybe some of the people that she's wronged. So in both these lives, she has the opportunity to think about her life and some of the choices that she's making. So there's lots of questions on what is, you know, why it is that she's experiencing two lives, you know, what is going on here? Is this real in some way? Is this some kind of alternate world theory? And or which life is even real, and if she will be able to, you know, make the changes that she needs to make. I thought it was so good. I really liked it. Do you think I would like it? I think you would. I think you would. I mean, I think that most novels, a lot of novels that we read that sort of try to look at different aspects of things, they start out in one way and then they become a thriller. But this one is all always has that tension. Like she's always under duress. I think I met the authors. They were in the autographing. Uh, I think you area. Said, yeah. yeah, I took a picture of them. Um, and they said they wanted to come on our show. So we might want to think about that. Hmm. Be fun to talk to co-authors. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think about four P I think about the editing. I'm just like, Oh my God. I know. I know. I want to know like the process, how that, how like they get from idea because there's two of them to finish product. If they're not in the same place, I think it'd be cool. Um, that was really interesting because I think at the back of this book, they talk about, I think they've written multiple books together. And this one's the first one that I've heard about to this extent. So it seems like they've hit upon something with this book. There's a lot of buzz behind it. But in the acknowledgments or in the afterward, they talk about how this was a book that repaired their friendship. So hmm. I think that, that they had maybe hit some snags in their partnership, hmm. in their writing. There's a story there. Interesting. Next up is trust exercise, oh, which yeah. I texted you yesterday. And I said, you know, should we make this our July um, book club book? So you're in the middle of reading it with your book club, and it's something that I really want to read. So great, we decided to do that. So trust exercise for July, you guys. You also got me one, A Good Neighborhood by Therese and Fowler. Oh, that is a new St. Martin's book, I think. That's, that's very It's coming good. out next year, February of 2020. It looks like it is going to be really good. It says it's going to raise questions about, you know, who the United States is for, um, who gets to enjoy it? You know, what does it mean to have a good neighborhood and who gets to experience that? And I think it looks like two, the two families who are involved in whatever is, is going on in this neighborhood or whatever the conflict is going to be. One is African-American and I think the other one is white. Mm -hmm. So, and they talk about what a departure this is because she wrote a Zelda Fitzgerald novel. Mm-hmm. which I think might it might just be, the title might just be Z. So I think she was writing a lot of historical fiction before, or she wrote two historical fiction novels. So, I mean, that would be a lot for me because I've written no historical fiction. <laughs> but <laughs> And the last one is The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell, which sounds really intriguing. It's coming out in October, and... It says that the novel starts with a text message that this woman receives that says, it's happening, the baby is back. And it's it's some, like, really, seems like some really convoluted tale of 
wealth and a kidnapped baby and strange goings on in some empty house. I'm really intrigued, even though I have not read anything by this author before. I think that's the only book I sent you that I did not also have a copy of for myself because um, it just, I'm not sure. Seems I, a little, yeah, I'm not sure I would have picked right. it up, but I figured I'd give it to you to see what you thought. I may send you more stuff yeah. too because I just have too much and I have to go through it really carefully and see what what am I really going to read and which things are just too out of my typical wheelhouse that, you know, I grab because it right. sounded good. I mean, you know how it is. So I may send you more stuff. I know the drill. I just sent you something else. Send them, send them my way. Did you get something else for me this week? What did I send you? Oh, I sent you the mother-in-law. That's right. That's on its way to you. Oh, yay. Yeah. Okay, and you went to some cool. So that was the event. box. That was five books. I did. I went to see. So my friend works at this company, which ironically is called Company, and we <laughs> always tease her about <laughs> the social media implications of that, or how do you search for that? You know. So Company is this building. They have the entire building, which I think is a feat in New York City, because it is prime midtown real estate. It's like on 42nd Street, right outside Grand Central. And they are a company that basically funds startups. So I think they have like 140 or 170 startups that they give space to and give other resources and support to. So my friend does their, she does their brand presence or something. I just never know what anyone does. But so they have events there. And Oliver Jeffers was there. He's like this visual artist. He's written a bunch of books. So I went to a really interesting talk. He talks a lot about how he sees art and the different influences. And he answered questions from the audience about how they can cultivate their own creativity. And he just has like these really, I just... I really love his pieces and how he sees the world. Like he talked a lot about astronauts and how when you get to see the world from such a faraway place that you just don't think of it in the same way. And it's something that I think about a lot. Human beings are, for lack of a better word, we're just, we're tribal. You know, people make snap judgments. People want to be around people who look and act the way that they do. You know, we're suspicious of anything that's different. So he's just talking about how the things that we really emphasize and the things that we fight over when you see the world from such a different perspective, it doesn't matter because it's like, it's this huge planet. And the fact that there's so many of us existing in this space and, you know, the fact that land doesn't have any boundaries, you know, the trees or, you know, these demarcations that we make, this is my state, this is my country, this is my city. We do these things here. They, I mean, they're, they are a part of our collective agreement. You know, it's not like these things exist in nature. Mm -hmm. It's not like New York knows it's New York. And then it's like, oh, but now I'm New Jersey. <laughs> right, right. And we make these distinctions and we talk about what's beautiful and what it's just like the world is beautiful. And it's, there's different types of landscape, different places, but you're always going to go place and find beauty. But we make these distinctions. So his art, his art makes comment on that. Interesting. And it was, it was very interesting. Yeah, it was a really interesting discussion because these are things I think about a lot, you know, the boundaries that we fight over and, and just thinking about the fact, um, someone made a comment. I think I was reading some article 
And someone made the comment that, you know, humans, we are, we make snap judgments. We do a lot of things in the name of safety and being comfortable. But the other part that we really have the opportunity to, we really have the opportunity to extend those boundaries when it does not make sense to keep them intact. You know, when you know that you're safe in terms of going places or whatever, and that our, you know, our job is to make sure that we are, that we're doing those things, like not making snap judgments and just sticking with them when there is other evidence to suggest that, that other people also have humanity, which I think is, is a struggle. And we see it time and time again. It's amazing when you think about how much of the conflicts of the world are waged over things like borders and property and who's there first and what does, you know, look at the, look at Jerusalem. Like what does this land mean to so many different people? And it's all, like you said, it's all just human creation. There's no, right. There's no like higher power that is delegating these, you know, uh, assigning these lands to any particular place or people. Yeah. And there's so much stuff, the stuff that's going on in Venezuela, the stuff that's going on in Sudan, you know, Hong Kong trying to escape China, which is trying to impose its will. I mean, yeah. So he just talks about being in perspective when you see the world and the earth and the way things work. He also made an interesting comment that my friend noticed about constellations. You know, we look up at the stars and the stories that we tell about constellations are our way of making sense out of chaos, which of course is a lot. We tell a lot of stories. I mean, all of life is just a story. Who's got what, who wants what, you know, why you can and cannot have certain things. But, you know, these are all stories and I don't know, it'd be nice to, for us to start telling some different ones. And on a lighter note, I went to a book babes event. Book Babes is this organization or actually not organization is these three friends in New York who wanted to put together a way for people to come and enjoy books. So what they do is they offer you two choices. Like you can read a nonfiction selection or a book or a fiction selection. And, and they've done them at different stores around the city. So I think the next one is going to be at the Uber Eats offices, but they also had them at Wander Beauty. I think they're having one coming up at Codaly. Where's the other one I went to? I think there was one at Kendra Scott. So they do them at different locations and you get it. It's very informal networking in the beginning. You get a chance to just really chat with other book lovers. And then there's a discussion. So I've gone to a couple of them because uh, I think their last discussion was where the crawdad sings. So they've been books that I have read. So if I've read something, then I'll then I'll pop over mm-hmm. and it's fun. Hmm. And I've met people. That sounds cool. That is my monologue. <laughs> I feel like I've just been talking forever. <laughs> now you know all my thoughts about visual artists and and my basic philosophy of the world and that you should go to a book babe event because <laughs> they're fun. I like the places where these so, events are happening. That sounds awesome. I know. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I wish I, Oh, one was at rent the runway. So you usually get a cool discount, maybe anywhere from 10 to 
20% off of your purchase. And I think at, oh, we had one at, um, La Cetane mm-hmm. had one and I, and I actually want to, I want some hand lotion that it had, I, I have been so busy. Like work has been so busy these last couple of weeks. I was barely able to get your box because I wasn't home and had mm-hmm. to coordinate with my neighbor who took it in for me. Cause she just, you know, she is, I don't think anything would have happened to it, but she's very sweet. And she saw that it was sitting there for a couple of days. So she just let me know that she had mm. it. <laughs> she had taken it in just in case. So I'm glad that she, yeah. she did that too. So I did not have to worry about it. And I haven't even gotten a chance to like, my lotion is still in the gift bag. I have not oh. really looked at it to investigate it a little bit more, but I've bought lotion, hand lotion from them before. Oh, yeah, so great. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. So they have them at really cool places. Yeah, that sounds fun. And so that's, if you're local, that's Book Babes NYC or, you know, just check it out. So if you're in New York and you happen to be able to go to one, then you can go to one. All right. So what's next up on our agenda? So next up. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, book The books. What books have you loved so far this year is what I wanted to talk yeah. about. So, I mean, I don't think that it's going to be as much of a surprise. Because they're the mm-hmm. same books that I've kind of raved about as we've talked about them since um, January. And for me, they, they're they kind of my standout reads. They're just the ones that like I look back over the list because I've read about 30 so far. And mm-hmm. I'm just looking back over like what jumps out as I scroll through those thumbnail photos of the books. And it's, again, really not going to be a surprise. So for me, it's uh, Becoming by Michelle Obama. And it's The Great Believers, which was the first book I read of the whole year. And then it's um, Our Souls at Night by Ken Haruf. So those would be like my top three. Do we want to go deeper than three or is that you think that's enough? You can give me a couple of more. I mean, because we don't have to talk about these. In a lot of detail. Right. Like if I come across any, there's a few that I might talk about in a little bit more detail because I feel like I have not, you know, for whatever reason with being busy traveling or whatever, I haven't really discussed them on the show. Yeah. Like I'm trying to get better about that. Like I think at one point we need to catch up. Like I need to make a list of anything that I feel like I didn't get a chance to talk about because I don't, you know, we talk for an hour every week about books. How are we missing (laughs) things? Uh, you know, that's impressive because I feel like I barely read enough books to make it, you know, to, to fill the show. Well, I, I mean, those three, we've talked about a great length. We've talked about Michelle Obama forever. Um, we've talked about, we had a book club on had her. a book club on her. We did, we talked about the great believers a lot while we were doing the March madness because it was one of the, <laughs> one of the flip a coin for the winner because we had, you know, gone over it so much. I think I've talked a fair amount about our souls at night. Um, other ones that jump out at me that I think, uh, are, were high highlights of my reading would be inheritance by Danny Shapiro. We've talked about that quite a bit too. That's her memoir about learning that the man that she always thought was her father was not her biological father. Um, I really enjoyed I that was one. reading this. I think Elle has a best of the year so far list and Danny Shapiro was the first one. On oh, there, interesting. This book was, mm-hmm. oh, great. I like that. Um, I think that I would add, I would add 
the girl who used to know to that list, which is funny because it's kind of a light read, but I just really like that one. And I'm going to put Evie Drake on there. I'm really enjoying Evie Drake. And hmm. I mean, part of it is I love the baseball element to it, but I just, I, what's, I read this review of Evie Drake and it was so true that it's about grownups acting like grownups, like real grownups do in a relationship. You know, they have fights. Things are awkward sometimes. They're not always acting at their best. They're kind of like real relationships. This is how people relate to each other in their 30s and 40s. And it's um, it feels like you're following a real story about real people. And, you know, no one's perfect here and there's no cure-all for the issues that they're each having. And they kind of live with life dis- life's disappointments. And I just really like her writing. Like, she just – it's good. So – I'm gonna put So thus far you have twenty five percent. Hopefully it won't be any Yeah, I don't think it she will won't make any instant solutions. I don't think so. That doesn't seem like how she'll do it. And I might have skipped ahead a little just to peek. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> just maybe. So uh yeah, okay, so there's there's five there then. I think that's a good I think that's a good uh Yeah. It's a good number. Yeah. How about you? I think last year. I think maybe last year we only did three each. Before we do that, I'm going to reveal to you. So the only book that we mentioned in our June of, I guess it was the end of June 2018 podcast where we talked about best books of the year so far. And the one that made it on our actual list was An American Marriage by Tiari Jones. Mm. I think all the books that we mentioned were probably on our expanded list. But mid-year, this is what we had. The Incendiaries by R.O. Kwan, that was me. Mm -hmm. That Kind of Mother, which had to have been me because you didn't like it as much as I did. American Marriage, which we probably both agreed with. A Cloud in the Shape of a Girl, which was you. The Honey Farm and the Caregiver. Actually, no, this was our... That's your... This was what made our... Yes, but this is what made our... This is what made the list, the final cut. And it shifted. So American Marriage was probably the only thing that we mentioned that was on there. Earlier in the year, you had mentioned Born to Run. Mm. Everything Here is Beautiful mm-hmm. is another one that we had mentioned. And Educated mm. was on there. I didn't realize Educated. I guess it has been out that long. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So it's interesting. So we will check in at the end of the year and see what we come up with. And I don't think that, you know, it's not like our book, the books radically change. This is what we had so far. And I think that all of these books are probably on our expanded list. Right. Um, And you had, this is how it always is. Oh, that's a good book. Yep. So my books I had on my list were Bitcoin Billionaires by Ben Mesrich. We talked about this when Siobhan from Book of the Month mm-hmm. was on here. And we talked about how addictive, like how narrative and how you really get caught up in his books. And this one was so good. Has me obsessed with cryptocurrency. And the funny thing about it, of course, this book is coming out now. And uh, it's about the Winklevoss twins, who, of course, were shaded out of Facebook. So it was their follow-up story. And of course, Facebook has just announced their own cryptocurrency, Libra. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I think that'll be really interesting. I mean, because they have worked, the Winklevoss twins have really 
you know, this book goes into how there were a lot of rogue characters and sort of bad actors and people who were involved in, oh gosh, what's the cryptocurrency name now that I'm thinking? Bitcoin. Bitcoin billionaires. Right. <laughs> so they were trying to just like legitimize Bitcoin and not make it something that seemed like it was only on the dark web or the Silk Road websites or anything like that. How they really hit upon something and, you know, cryptocurrency is all about trust that it's not built on banking institutions, that it's sort of like this, I guess, egalitarian and accessible way to to spend money and to save money without without the middleman and all the fees and things like that. And so, yeah, so of course the cost of buying Bitcoin has soared, but it's very volatile. And now Facebook has their own cryptocurrency, which I mean, because they have so many users, I mean, if anyone can legitimize this very quickly or whatever. I just wonder like how pissed off these twins are if they are or, Oh my God. Or how Libra, how Libra will do because I was reading this article in the New York times is talking about how Libra is Facebook has lost so much prestige and they've lost so much trust that this could be a way that they get that trust back from, from their users. I don't know. Hmm. It's it's interesting. I want now I want to read more articles and just see I have to Google whether they have had any response to Libra and to see how Bitcoin is doing with this announcement. I'm sure there'll be some juicy articles. Maybe I'll be reporting back on that. I'm so fascinated. Facebook is just an endlessly interesting company, I think, for me. Um <laughs> I spend a lot of time sort of thinking about Facebook, talking about Facebook for my job. And mm -hmm. uh, that's interesting. I did not know they were doing that. And I guess I'm not surprised because their goal clearly is to get their tentacles into like literally every aspect of our lives. So that's not surprising. I don't like the way they go about doing things. Like I don't like the way they change things. You know, they, I don't like things that think that they know their priorities better. I mean, my priorities better than I do. Mm, right. They do. Like, I just hate the way they mess with that feed. And it's always like, you have to go and say you want mo most recent as opposed to what they think is most relevant. And of course, they've done the same thing with Instagram. I'm not on Facebook very much because I've never, I've just never really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And I'm really thinking, giving serious consideration to just quitting altogether. Oh, but we would miss you in the various groups that we need you to participate in. I know. I only do it for that. And increasingly, it's just, I don't even have the time to do that. So yeah, the Winklevoss twins will always be army hammer to me. I just, oh, gosh, just, that, you know, <laughs> he played them in that movie, uh, social network. And yeah, I don't even really can't form a clear picture of what they look like. <laughs> oh, in real life. I know. So, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. No, they're just army hammer. That's, <laughs> that's just, right. That's just what they look like. <laughs> they're just tall and beautiful. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that's on your list. What else? The Night Before by Wendy Walker, which I've talked to talked about a lot. So I don't really have to say a lot about it. I just okay. really think she nailed the two perspectives in this one. And it was just an endlessly, I mean, for me, it held me. It, this book held me from start to finish in terms of intrigue. So yeah, that's a good thriller. So I don't have to talk about that too much. Okay. 
What else was on my list? Devotion by Madeline Stevens, which is not coming out until August. So you have time to prepare your shelf. But I really liked the blend of thrillery aspects with just heavier aspects of, I guess, female envy and friendship. And and um, I think something that is has probably always been there, but just sort of this, the envious nature of relationships where you have haves and have nots, which I think is becoming increasingly like an increasingly prominent division at this point in our society. Mm -hmm. So one of the books that I did not talk about a lot that I was on my list and was highly anticipated by me was American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. I was really looking forward to this book. It's set in the 1980s. It's about this African-American woman who works at, I believe she she is working at the FBI. Her experience is there and how it's not very welcoming. She's very much a fish out of water. And she gets recruited to do a job for the CIA. It is all about implanting herself with this man who is the head of Burkina Faso and getting intel on him and how she contributes to his administration in his, in his government, like, you know, what the United States, you know, what their purposes are for him in this government and how she's going to help them. Now, this is a book I was really excited about. They compared it a lot to buy novels, which I think it could have suffered from. I wonder if this was out on Kanaf. This is pure literary fiction. So I feel like if you came into this looking for something really thrillery, you might have been disappointed because it does start, I mean, the novel does start off with her dealing with an intruder who comes to her home. To her home, So you get a chance to see some of her skills. She's the mother of two young boys, but this book is mostly about relationships. You know, she has a very difficult relationship with her mother. Her parents seem to be it seems to be strongly hinted that they were also involved in the spy business and what their motivations were for being spies and what is the motivation for doing something and being so patriotic for a country that may not necessarily value you, doesn't promote your interests, but still having these feelings around that. It's partially set, I think it it begins in Connecticut, but it's mostly set in um, Martinique which is a French Caribbean island. I love Martinique. It's so underrated. And it's one that I have gone to over the years for vacations with family or whatever. So it was so exciting to see Martinique in something. I mean, it's it's marginal because you don't get to see a lot of the country. It's set on a farm where she goes with her children. So it's about her relationship with her children who she is preparing to leave because there are just outstanding issues, I guess, from her her service in the CIA. She takes them to Martinique where her mother lives and from whom she has largely been estranged. And it's about her relationship with her sister. So it's just all about how the dynamic between parents and the parent-child bond can affect the sibling bond. And at some point her sister goes missing, which I think you find out pretty early in the novel and just how all these relationships were resolved. Like I said, not oh, not what I was expecting. It was not like this dramatic spy caper or anything like that, but it's just like this moving, moving story about relationships between mothers and daughters and mothers and sons and, and siblings. Hmm. Okay. 
It was good. And the last thing on my list, is that the last thing on my list? I think that's the last thing on my list. I had like, oh no, Good Talk by Mary Jacob. I love that book. What is that about again? Is that about it? I know you've talked about that on the show, but I can't remember what yeah, it's about. Yeah, it's this, it's this graphic me- novel memoir that this woman wrote for her son. She's an Indian woman. She's married to a white man. I think that they are both from New Mexico. Oh, yes. I remember reading about this book. Yeah, and she – it starts – it was an interesting story because it starts because her son is asking her all of these questions about how did Michael Jackson – why was he black and how did he become white and is it possible for him to become white? And he starts – I guess this takes place probably when Trump, Donald Trump was running for president and her son's questions around things that were happening at that time about – having brown skin and and whether that made him a liability and whether people were afraid of him. So she decides that the only way that she can tell this story is basically through a graphic novel. So I think she spent a year teaching herself how to sketch and how to create characters. So in some ways the artwork is not that I won't say that it's basic, but it's, it's, funny how she has these cutouts of herself and her son that she imposes on different backgrounds. And she just talks through the issues of how she and her husband deal with trying to answer some of the questions that her son has. And she goes back and she looks at what it was like for her to grow up as an Indian woman in New Mexico, where there were not a a lot of other people who looked like her or who had the same cultural background and her assumptions about things that would have changed for her child and to realize that things have not changed as much as she thought they would. And just, I think her in-laws are Trump supporters and what kind of tensions and feelings that arouses for her and how that affects her marriage. It was just, it was really good. Like I can't recommend that highly enough. Uh, I've read about that book. That really sounds very interesting. We'll check in in another six months on our favorite books of the year. <laughs> and we'll see what made it from the first half into our year long retrospective on our favorite sort of the, the ones that stood out for us over the course of the year. Now we're going to move into just a f- sharing a few books that are recently out in paperback. We know this is the, t- the year of, or the time of year of travel. And if you, s- like to travel with paper books, which I do, then of course you're always seeking out the lightest possible so you don't bog down your suitcase with a lot of hardcovers. So um, we're going to talk about some books that have recently come out or are about to come out in paperback that we liked so you can add them to your list. You want to kick us off? Looking at this list, it's kind of long. Oh, we don't need to get Gosh. into too much detail because they're probably books we've yeah, already talked about. Yeah, but not, yeah. We have probably talked about a lot of them. My Year in Rest and Relaxation is out by Otessa Mushfe. I think that, you know, you've heard me talk about this book a lot. I didn't love it. I mean, the writing is great. It's It's a very extreme point of view, which I usually don't do well with, but it is out in paperback. If you've been curious about this book, I think Gail commented at one point that this is a book that was all over the place. So if you have any curiosity about that, you can run out and get it now. Mm-hmm. For a light read, for a nice light read for Rosé Season, The Shortest Way Home by Miriam Parker is out. It just came out on Tuesday. And it is light and sweet. And if you've ever dreamed about getting away from it all and learning about vineyards and living in a cute little 
guest house on a winery, then this is a book for you. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> Mary B came out in paperback last week. Mary B is the retelling of, <clears throat> well, it's not the retelling. <laughs> it is the sequel to Pride and Prejudice right. told from the perspective of Mary Bennett, the oft overlooked ridiculed middle sister um, Nicole and I have talked about this book a lot on the show, so we won't get into it. We have passionate feelings about it, but if you are a <laughs> Jane Austen and or Pride and Prejudice fan, this is a, a good read to pick up. Maybe. Maybe. It depends. Yeah. If you're not a purist, if you want a little bit of fun. Yeah. If you can possibly. tolerate some liberties. Lots of liberty. Mm-hmm. Florida by Lauren Groff, which I feel like I've talked about a lot, is out. It's a collection of short stories set mainly in the state of Florida. And it's a lot about just the menace between, I don't know, the menace of the land, I guess, people in relationship to the land. I mean, when I think about the things that happen in Florida, you know, things that I really don't think about in the city, it is a thing that, you know, an alligator can come out and just eat you. So it's a lot about the menace of nature and nature in relationship to people and people in relationships with each other. It was a really interesting book. So if you like short stories, I would check this one out. And I'm not usually a short story person, but I did enjoy most of these. The Great Believers, which was, I've already mentioned it on this show once, is uh, out in paperback. This is a fantastic book about the AIDS epidemic in the 80s in Chicago and how it ravaged a, a group of friends and the ramifications of the losses from those um, those deaths. And uh, this is by Rebecca Mackay. And it you and I loved this book. And I think if you're going on a trip, I found this book to be utterly transportative. I read it over Christmas break and I was traveling and I felt like I would be like, on a ski slope, sitting in a lift, going up the mountain, thinking about the characters for this book. So if you have a trip this summer where you've got a little bit of time that you're going to be on an airplane or sitting by a pool or just, you know, any moments of solitude, this I highly recommend this as a vacation read. I thought it was great. It was a great book. I'm glad that it's out in paperback. Yeah. I hope that it kind of finds a new audience there. So American Prison, A Reporter's Undercover Journey into the Business of Punishment by Shane Bauer is out in paperback. I think I can finally finish that book because remember, I had mm -hmm. to stop reading it because it was just too horrible. Mm -hmm. So I think enough time has come past that I can probably finish the last hundred pages. I mean, the book is, is fascinating. It looks at how American prisons have involved, you know, their history, basically, I guess, starting after Reconstruction after slavery and how basically there wasn't any imprisonment and there wasn't really any imprisonment where black and white convicts were together. So it's, it starts out about how the South was basically looking at how to obtain labor and how people were being imprisoned and the sentences were stretched on and the brutality of the work that people did and, you know, how states began to see that they were lucrative and could contribute to their bottom lines and help their industries and how 
the prison industry has basically involved and become privatized. Some of the conditions that they talk about, I mean, they are just not for the faint of heart. Mm. And it is just so absolutely grim and depressing that I, I had to stop reading it. Mm. But I think that, you know, now that I had a good good chunk of it done, that I can just go on and finish. So okay. I plan to finish and it's out in paperback if, you know, the prison industry interests you. Mm-hmm. And what was really interesting about this book is that Shane Bauer went in as a guard, but he was one of three writers, I think, journalists that had, what border were they on? Was it Iran-Iraq border? And he was imprisoned over there because he trespassed into the wrong border. I cannot think of what those countries are right now. So he had already spent a year in prison. So he goes back as a guard and he's kind of talking about what his experience, you know, the history of prisons is what he discusses in great detail, but he's also talking about his experience as a guard and, you know, what impulses it triggers into him as a person, especially in response to the fact that he had been in in prison himself. It's just really fascinating in those ways, which I think it's why it's worthwhile to finish. And you just have to kind of wonder about him that he wants to spend so much time in prison. Yeah, really. So I think you had one last one, right? Yeah, I have one more and then a couple I just wanted to mention really briefly. So the the third one I was going to mention was The Dinner List, which uh, I read earlier this year. It's kind of an odd book. And I think at the more time that passes, the more odd I think it is. But it's about a woman who it's kind of this sort of fantasy where she has a dinner at a restaurant with, you know, it's that age old question, like five people you would want to have at a dinner. And it's kind of her ex-boyfriend and it's her father, her estranged father and um, Audrey Hepburn and her best friend. It's a very poignant book about kind of relationships and looking back on your life and how things changed. Um, it's, it's sad and it's a little weird and I don't think (laughs) it's for everybody. And I, I did, I wouldn't say I loved it, but I'm glad I read it. It's a, it's a little bit of a change of pace from what I usually read. And I, uh, it's, I respect it. <laughs> it kind of makes it kind of a strange thing to say about a book. I respect it. Um, so anyway, that's out. And well, that is good. Yeah. That you respect yeah, it. Yeah. I respect it. It's out in paperback. So that's one, if that is intriguing to you, but you've not wanted to pull the trigger on the hardcover, that's out in paperback. Maybe see if you'll respect it as well. Right. And then three more I just wanted to mention. I'll be super quick. One is The Other Woman by Sandy Jones, I think is her name, which is a thriller about a, a, a woman and her very, very difficult mother-in-law. And it takes some twists and turns and goes to some places where you don't expect when you pick it up. Um, Do you know what is out? I'm just going to piggyback off you for a second because you mentioned Sandy Jones and I actually had pulled this up just to... See, if you were going to read her next book, The First Mistake, which came out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I might. I mean, I, I didn't – I liked uh, the first one. I liked the other woman. It, I, it, it was – it's a popcorn thriller. So I just – you know, having just read The Mother-in-Law, which is also a bit of a popcorn thriller, which is a slightly similar theme. Um, I'm probably not, like, dying to pick it up, but I will listen to what other people think about it and then maybe – rethink that. Are you going to read it? 
Oh, I don't have any plans to. Okay. I don't know. This might, I mean, this might be, there's so much good literary fiction that is coming out or that has just come out. And uh, we won't have time to, like, I have this list of things I want to mention, but we won't have time in this show. And, uh, but probably next show, because I think next show is just the two of us again. Mm-hmm. So... I'll, you know, we'll try to get to that. This might be my summer of literary fiction. There's just so much good Mm -hmm. stuff. So much. Well, anyway, The Other Woman is out. And then there's two books that I have not yet read, but they are on my list. And I thought I would just mention them here. One is Before We Were Yours by Laura Wingate, which I have wanted to read a long time. And maybe I'll make Mm -hmm. that one of my vacation reads because that's sitting on my shelf. And that's about, um, I think it's about an adoption agency. And it's historical fiction, but I've just heard nothing but good things about that book. So that is recently out in fiction, out in paperback. And then also Small Fry by uh, Steve Jobs' daughter. Is it Amanda Jobs? What's her first name? Lisa. Lisa Jobs. No, no, Lisa. Lisa Brennan Jobs. Oh, okay. That's right. There it is, sitting right on my shelf. So um, I picked this up at Book Expo last year, and uh, I've heard interesting things about that, too, and I want to pick that up. So that's also out in paperback, too. So now we are going to have our spoilery discussion of The Farm, and I want to mention that it's spoilery because we read our reviews, which we love, and someone said that we talk about spoilers a lot, that we just spoil all these books. <laughs> We got a comment and I wasn't sure what, what that was about. I'm still not sure. I was just like, did they listen to the right show? Because I'm so spoiler. You know, I like, I think if you tell me it's, if you tell me it's an unreliable narrator, I think that's a spoiler. So I just want to make it very clear that the discussion that we're about to have, and I want to add, I want to add where the crawdads sing into that. So if you have not read either of these books and you want to read these books, Please, 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 if you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen any further because we're we're going to have a discussion and, and just talk about everything that we think about the book. So I don't want to spoil this for anyone. And I'm sorry if we have inadvertently spoiled anyone previously, but so I just want to just make it very clear that we're going to, nothing will be off limits with these books. And so we purposely put them at the end of the show so that hopefully no one has to hear anything about a book that they're still looking forward to reading. And if you do read these books later on and just kind of want to see what we thought about them, then you can come back. Right. So we listened to your feedback and your comments and thank you for leaving them. One also said that we were low energy, but I can't really do anything. I'm like, (laughs) I talk about literary fiction. I can't. Right. Maybe we I try to be music. as breathless and <laughs> as exciting as I possibly can, but I'm pretty, you know, like my mom's number one comment about me since I was little was that I'm just so nonchalant and um, <laughs> I'm pretty chill. So yeah, if you want like lots of anxiety and high stress and, and great enthusiasm, this may not be the show for you. We're right. We're both pretty chill. Yeah, we both are pretty chill. Yeah. I wouldn't say low energy. I would say chill. Yeah. Yeah, that's like that better. <laughs> I like that better. Okay. So the farm. The farm is a strange hybrid of a book, I think. Okay. But before but I don't let 
I want us to discuss. We're going to discuss the book first before you give your overall. No, well, I was going to use that just to introduce what it's about. Okay. Okay, So, yeah. So, it is about – it opens up with a discussion about Filipino nannies, baby nurses, uh, housekeepers, mostly in Manhattan, who kind of interface with these rich white New Yorkers in – their homes because they're working for them. And yet they've got kind of their own community and it's about them trying to, uh, you know, trying to make money to send home to their families back in the Philippines. And it's about kind of how they live and how they've managed to carve out this sort of niche in, you know, rich New York society. And then it morphs into, there's kind of a, 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 a second plot going on at the same time, which is about a woman who has created a place where surrogates can go and live in this very pampered, well-monitored, you know, good food eating, healthy life, encouraging reclusive resort so that they can have babies for very rich clients who either can't have children or don't want to be inconvenienced to be pregnant. And the story doves to, doves to those two plot lines come together when one of the women from the beginning of the book who has a young child of her own, a baby of her own, decides to act as a surrogate or is hired to act as a surrogate for an unnamed client and living in this uh, in this place called the farm. And so it's golden oaks. Golden oaks. <laughs> golden oaks. And so the book tracks what happens when this woman goes to the farm to Golden Oaks and some of the issues that she has while she's there, both with bonding with other cl- other uh surrogates at the farm and then also her own feelings of um, guilt that she has because she's away from her own daughter. So here she is at this place, nurturing and growing this baby inside her. And she's at the same time feels as if she's abandoned her own daughter, even though of course she's doing it to give them a better life because she's going to make a bunch of money by doing it. So uh, that's the plot. And um, now can we get into what we thought of it or no. No. Okay. Mm-mm. Let's talk a little bit about it. Okay. Let's, before we prejudice the discussion with our overall thoughts of the book, what, was there any character that was particularly compelling for you? Whose story were you most interested in this novel? Because it's told from a bunch of different perspectives. There is May, who's sort of like this, I almost saw her as sort of like a Sheryl Sandberg character, you know, some this woman who's driven and wants to accomplish her goals and on the face of things maybe could be viewed positively in what she's accomplished in this large corporation, but she is running something that in some ways is very detrimental to women. And then we had one woman who comes from a very poor br- background I can't think of her name. And she's sort of become a broker to these Filipino women, Filipino Mm, women. The cousin, the older cousin. The cousin. Yeah, the older cousin, who is 
on the surface of it, theoretically, she is helping to fulfill a need for these women in order and giving these op- them opportunities where for, I guess you could say it's a limited amount of time sacrifice, giving them the opportunity to just boost their position, send money home, get out of desperate circumstances. And then we have Jane. In the beginning of the novel, she's very naive. She's She has a child. Her husband, is is he violent at some point? I don't know if he's violent so much as he's just a deadbeat and unreliable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So was there anything that stuck out with them? Anyone who's, who would you think, who did you, who was most memorable for you? Definitely May. I liked May the most. May was the uh, Sheryl Sandberg-like character you talked about. I thought she was the most kind of realistic and consistent throughout the book. I felt like the other two, some of the other ones were a little one-dimensional. May Mm -hmm. felt a lot more... Uh, I could understand May. I could sort of see her motivations. I could I could picture why she was doing what she was doing. Same also with the cousin, um, the, the one, the older cousin. And for some reason, I'm forgetting her name as well. But she, the two of them were very driven by the desire for success and the need to kind of maybe keep up appearances a little bit and prove something. And I felt like they were very consistent and well drawn out characters. Whereas some of the other ones, again, they felt one dimensional and they, I, I, I didn't, couldn't really understand or predict what they were going to do. And they felt, I felt like they acted out of character a lot. But those two, I didn't feel that way. May was so straightforward. I mean, I do believe that she, I think it's some, it's, she's a character that's very easy to visualize. Mm-hmm. You know, because her motivations are so clear and I feel like we're presented with those situations all the time. And I wonder too, like, is that something, saying something about the payoff that women make when they're, you know, when you're working in corporations, how easy it is to sort of justify some of the things that you're doing and how maybe we understand that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like with Jane, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other characters who are similar that I've read about. And if there is that, like, do I believe that someone who's in her circumstances would have been as naive as she was? The incident, remember when she's like breastfeeding someone else's child, I think. Did that pull you out of the story a little? Well, I mean, I guess I could kind of understand how that happened. Right. You can. You can see it. And of course, they make it this big dramatic moment when she gets caught. Right. You know, I think they needed, she needed a reason to put her, to put Jane in kind of desperate straits that wasn't really at a fault of her. It didn't show her to be, you know, lack of character or something like that. They, she kind of wanted to like keep her to be this very um, virtuous person, but yet also really needing to make money so that Turn she the could, right. So she could set her up for why she had to make this choice. Um, yeah, I mean, she did seem so naive, and you're just kind of like, I don't. <laughs> what was interesting to me when they went to the farm is just, and I think about this a lot in life, how easy it is that we just add this element of competition everywhere. Like, you know, there's this competition among the women of who is carrying the big ticket baby. Like, there is someone mm-hmm. there, and no one knows. You don't know whose baby that you're carrying, but there is lots of, you know, these women are up there. They're isolated. 
So there's a lot of speculation about whose ch- whose child they're carrying because you know, like if you are carrying someone someone's child who is very rich, then they're have your salary that you're going to get, and you have like these bonuses that you can hit for delivering a healthy baby. But the incentive is so much more when you're carrying this particular child. And then there's a lot of discussion about, ra- you know, racial origins and. Mm-hmm conversation that is exploit, you know, that's look seeking, definitely seeking to exploit women and even white, you know, like poorer white women, because of course, white babies are a premium in this in this novel. And there is a character Reagan, of course, who is very sought after and she, I don't know, she's like looking to do good in the world. She's come from a privileged background. And like, this is her way of giving back in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. This is my complaint about the book is there's just too much going on. There's right. too many themes and she's, it's too ambitious. You have all the things that you're talking about, this kind of idea of class and race and, you know, doing good for others versus, you know, intention with the just profit, money making right. goal and exploiting of other people or the desperation of other people. Then you have this adventure thriller element to it because. Which just dropped in there, I have to say, out of nowhere. nowhere. I think I was okay with the book. It's like, I really enjoyed Jane and getting to know her, the dynamic with her cousin. I'm fine. I don't know. I think that this could have been a successful novel without it all of a sudden morphing into this, what it did. Totally. And we've talked about this a little bit and we said, you know, I think at some point we're going to take a look at some novels that have done that. They, that they start off as one thing and then all of a sudden it is like, like a totally different a thriller. Yeah. I think where the crawdads sing, I think that that's this. I think that that's where I started. Like I was totally on board with it being fable like with having like this woman who lives in nature and how she decides to survive. And then it just started getting super convenient. Mm-hmm. Like. She was a poet, you know, this high school boy stops by for a few hours and all of a sudden she knows how to read and she's a scientist Mm -hmm. and she's like written the only book ever about the marsh without a college degree. And this all happens very quickly. Like in a year she's done this and she's found someone who's going to publish her book and she saves her house and then she becomes, and then it turns into like this murder mystery where... You're not quite sure what's going on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was sort of fine with that. Like, it's not like I didn't enjoy that different part, but it was just so radically different than what I had been reading before. And it's like, oh, now it's a courtroom drama. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then she actually did it, which I thought was just like crazy. <laughs> That's a massive spoiler. But you, everyone is warned. Everyone was. Everyone is everyone warned. Was warned. Like, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like, I'm just like, so, and she's the successful murderess now. (laughs) Like, she was on the, I mean, it was such a convoluted time scheme that you really become convinced that she didn't do it. And then it's just like, oh, she, but she did. Yes. And the marsh erased her prints and it was just like, okay. knowledge of the tides. (laughs) I agree. And I think in this case, she bit off way more than, than she could chew or that she should have tried to chew in this book. Like it just, 
it didn't need all of that element. I found the beginning so interesting, the whole like depiction of the Filipino nannies and nurses and 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 it's something that's familiar because you hear, sort of hear you know, you've heard about these indian surrogate factories that are yeah. happening you know people are outsourcing the births of their babies and i think you know kim kardashian she had a surrogate who i do not believe was from this country so it's one of these things that you hear and it's kind of interesting to consider because these women are treated so well one of my questions is what are we, what is she trying to say about human nature? What do we say about human nature? Are these things, they become sinister. And I think the exploitation, like, is this exploitation? Is this someone who is, you know, is it about like Reagan, she wants to do good? Or is it about people who can mutually benefit from a situation? And it's really helpful without it being sort of like a chase and escape thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, it didn't need that. And it didn't need all that tension among the women at the farm. Like you didn't need to have to set up these white versus Latino versus Filipino versus black. Like it just didn't need all of that. Um, well, there I would disagree. I think that, that, you know, they have, there's so many studies about how people, how we gravitate toward different ways. And I think that these women had nothing else to discuss. So I think that it probably would have gone along hierarchy lines. Yeah. No, I guess that's right. I guess that's right that you've got this microcosm of society in this very strange, weird controlled setting. And yet all of this, the kind of racial and class stuff comes out. I don't know. And that was interesting, but like, but the drama the troublemaker who sort of disappears and now, you know, mm-hmm. like, I just, I think, you know, I think that maybe it could have morphed into a thriller if I had more reason to believe that, that it becomes this issue of her daughter is sick and can she get to her daughter? And my thing is like, but why would you keep her? Why would you have this woman worry about her child when, when you could just have them make more phone calls, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, why do they need to be sitting here staring at the wall? It's just like, that just, it, that part just didn't make any sense. I think that I could have gone the thriller route if there had been a more compelling aspect that they were being separated, you know, yeah. like it would be different if her daughter had some kind of infectious disease. I, yeah. I don't know what it could have been. Yeah. But, but to just say, oh, you need to be here and you can't even talk to your child or we're going to make those decisions. I just can't see a place that has invested so much in keeping these women happy and they're measuring them for stress and they yeah. don't want them to be stressed out that you'd be like, oh yeah, you can't see your five-year-old yeah. and okay. whatever. I completely agree. <laughs> completely agree. And then the the convenience that she can't reach her cousin and she thinks that something's being withheld mm-hmm. for her and it turns out the cousin is in the hospital. Like it was a little convenient. I completely agree right. with what you're saying. And I think, you know, I think this book could have been a lot. I think it had a lot of potential. It had a lot of potential. It had a lot of potential. Yeah. And it was a really interesting setup. And you and I were intrigued by it from the beginning when we first heard about it. And we, had, you know, decided we wanted to read it and do a book club on it. And then I think, like, we just felt in the end, like, it could have, it, it didn't live up to what we were expecting of it. Now, okay, so it's really interesting because this book is getting a lot of praise. And I think that as an issues book, it brings up issues that are interesting to talk about, whether we feel like they are successful or in relationship to each other in this story. 
whether we enjoyed them all or, or if there were too many, but this rich, poor, black, white element to it and does society, are we destined to always stratify along those ways? You know, are these women being exploited or are are they being given the opportunity Mm -hmm. to advance? What are the moral and ethical issues of of doing this is just like all of these things, surveillance culture, the fact that these women are so surveilled there and, mm-hmm. you know, what rights if you are, you know, you're already deciding to help someone bring a child into this world when maybe they weren't able to. And are anyone's reasons more benevolent than another than I just don't want to carry a child or I can't carry a child. Right. So they're just, yeah, all these interesting things. And, and too, about how, you know, when you're wealthy, you can basically outsource everything. Right. But I think a lot of the, like I said, a lot of the reviews I've read have really concentrated on the fact that it's, it's taking a look at these issues. Well, and I, I respect it for that. And I think that's what drew us to it from the beginning. (laughs) There's that respect again. Yeah. I have a lot of respect. Right. (laughs) Right. Respect and love are not the same thing. We'll have, you know, right. Sometimes they can go hand in hand, but they don't always. (laughs) All right. Well, I think a piano lesson is about to commence in my house, which is probably a good time for us to sign off so that listeners are not subjected to my son's piano lesson. Nate. Yeah. (laughs) Nate's piano lesson. So anyway, well, that was a good, a good discussion. A lot packed a lot into the show. We did. We will be back next week with some interesting show, which we have yet to plan out, but we will between now and then. Oh, it'll probably be, well, I have a bunch of books that I finished that I haven't mentioned that I want to get to. And then I talked about all of these summer books, like the summer of literary fiction that I'm just so excited about. Let's do that. So many books that are coming out. So I think that we need to do some catch up and just tell you all the things that we're still super excited about that we may have mentioned in shows past. And then I've got some books that I finished and I've got some books that I did not get a chance to discuss that actually came out already. So next year, next year, next week, I'll have to tell you about them so that you can come, you can get them. And I think what I'll do is I'll take stock on like what I still would like to try to accomplish this summer in terms of my reading. And I think a lot of them are going to be those great literary fiction books you've mentioned because there's just, oh, it's just an embarrassment of riches right now. I mean, it always is, but it feels even more so right now than usual. And Gail doesn't know it yet, but we've got to do something for the summer. Like one day, one summer we did our classics challenge. So we need to decide what it is that we want to focus on. That might be really fun to to talk about this summer. By next week, by the time we record. If you have any ideas, let us know. All right. Until then, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about the reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.